plenty to discuss with Clay Travis from Outkick, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Clay, how you doing, man? I'm excellent. How are y'all? We are great. Who would you bet on for the Vanderbilt's next coach? Oh, it's such a good question. <laughs> we um, have we Chad. Chad's mentioned several names, but I don't. I, it's hard to say a front I, runner. I think I think Will Healy, Clark Lee, and a name I'm hearing a lot that is generating interest with their plan is Charles Huff. That's at Alabama right now. What do you think? What direction will they go in? I don't know um, is the easy answer. I, I do think that there is a lot of really good talent that is interested in coming to Vanderbilt. And I think that's a credit to the city of Nashville. I think it's a credit to how good of a school Vanderbilt is and also to the expectations. Look, Derek Mason got seven years and he only won 10 SEC football games. I think there are a lot of guys out there that are looking around saying, you know, that Vanderbilt will give me the time to build a culture that can win. Um, what I don't know is a couple things. Like, who is kind of the driving force that will help to make a hire? Obviously, it's ultimately Candace Story Lee and the new president's uh, decision. But, uh, but who are the people that will you know, help to drive the bus, so to speak, to get them to the stop where they end up. And I think, what exactly do they want? Uh, I, I think there is a uh, there is a faction out there that wants a Vanderbilt guy like Clark Lee to come back to uh, Nashville, who really knows that knows the terrain, right? Knows what it takes to win at Vanderbilt. I also think it's likely that because he's a defensive coordinator. There's another segment out there that wants an offensive guy, and that's why a guy like Jamie Chadwell, to me, is a little bit interesting. I know he is very uh, very open to the idea of the job. He's one of the finalists at South Carolina, uh, one of the three or four names that has made it to the next round of interviews that they're conducting at South Carolina. Uh, and obviously he's got a big game against BYU this weekend. So, uh, and then look, I, I, I still think it's kind of interesting. I know Paul knows it well. I'm kind of intrigued. I, maybe some people think it's crazy. I'm kind of intrigued by the Jeff Fisher idea because I think one of the challenges Vanderbilt is going to have in general is, first of all, it's a good problem to have, right? You hire somebody, they have success. A lot of people are going to see Vanderbilt as a stepping stone job. I want a guy who wants to be at Vanderbilt for the next 10 or 15 years and doesn't want to go elsewhere. Now, is it a problem if you have a James Franklin-like situation? Would Vanderbilt fans be like, hey, if we got five years of really good success and then a coach decides to move on, we'll deal with that? But I think in this day and age, there's an element of knowing a guy wants to spend the rest of his career with you, not in like a you know glorified retirement, but somebody who still has the fire in the belly. I think what you've seen with Herm Edwards and the success that he's had at Arizona State Look, and I'm not saying that Fisher is this guy, but there's a lot of interest in young guys, and I understand that. But I also think, maybe more than usual, a lot of young people to this day and age with social media and everything else, they're younger than maybe they've ever been before. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like uh, 18-year-olds going to college today are less worldly and more protected than any 18-year-olds have ever been in the history of our country. And why does that matter? Well, I think a lot of them really need a father figure, somebody who can tell them what the real world is like. 
And so I can see why Herm Edwards would play well in a living room and why a guy like that could make sense. Look, I would love, I've never gotten to do it, I would love to sit in and not even say a word, just be able to sit in and watch all the interviews take place just to see the coaches' personalities, the sales job. And, you know, sometimes I think it was Daryl Morey who said that, like, the least valuable thing you could do was do an interview because he was like, you get totally bamboozled, like you like somebody. And he, he was using that as an example for the draft. He's like, there's nothing more worthless than, the, than an interview for an NBA player because he's like, the NBA player, if they're really good at salesmanship, can convince you of things that you don't see on the tape. And guys who aren't particularly good interviews can make you question what you do see on the tape, right? And so ultimately, to me, it comes down to what your record is more than maybe what your sizzle is. Having said that, Vanderbilt needs sizzle, you know, because this is a program that is, you know, it's like trying to draw blood out of a rock right now. There isn't a lot of enthusiasm on West End for the football program. You don't necessarily have to sizzle doesn't last if you don't win, but I think you need some sizzle. And uh, I think, you know, a guy like Tim Corbin has shown that if they make the right hire, they can win at an incredibly high level. So I'm optimistic on Vanderbilt's candidates. I'm not sure what direction they're going to go. Clay, you said that someone can sit down with kids and tell them what the real world is like. I increasingly don't really know what the real world is like when we look around (laughs) at different headlines, honestly. And one of them is the SEC giving Sarah Fuller a co-SEC special teams player of the week. What is the message being sent by the SEC in giving her that award for that kick? I mean, it's look, it's a symbolic award as opposed to an award based on merit. And I'm, I'm a merit guy, right? Like, I don't want to give an award to somebody for something that they didn't earn. And she had, I think, fairly or foully, probably the worst kick to start the second half of any college football kicker in the entire country. So to award her a co-SEC player of the week or whatever the official title was, and then I think she also got the Courage Award uh, and all these other things that Vanderbilt had sent out, to me it it, it reflects a, a failure of the meritocracy, right? Like we shouldn't be rewarding people based on what they look like or based on what their gender is certainly not in the world of sports, right? Like, sports is the ultimate BS detector. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you're from. We got a scoreboard. You line up between the lines, on the court, on the field, whatever else. And at the end of that game, we figure out who's better. We got state championship games going on all day today, right? It'll be fun to watch some of those. Uh, I think CPA and Lipscomb are playing right now because my kids are out there watching that game. Uh, I let one of them get out of school to go watch it. The great thing about sports is, It's the ultimate meritocracy. The better team wins. The better man or woman wins. She wasn't better, right? And that's no knock against her. If she had come out and bombed a kick into the end zone and made a 40-yard field goal, I'd be like, holy crap, give her an award. Why wasn't she on Vanderbilt before now? But that squib kick uh, and one play, uh, I mean, you're telling me that that's one of the best performances by any of the hundreds plus, right? Like hundreds, literally hundreds of kids that played SEC football on the field on uh, on Saturday, it's crap. It's a sham. It's a uh, it's a stunt. And I think most sports fans see through that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a cool story. But after, you know, it, with all of the tweets and all of the pre-planned media 
and she addressed the team. Addressed, but hey, Clay. On top of that, there's word that there was a camera crew in there filming it oh, for ESPN. So I, I, I know for a so fact there was. With, with that in mind, like it's just so fake and manufactured that it, it it's a publicity stunt. They're going to give her the SB, and they'll probably play that speech and be like, "This proves that women can kick in the NFL." And, you know, like next thing you know, there's going to be you know 70 yard field goal. I mean, they'll make a Disney movie about it. And before it's all said and done, she'll make a 90-yard field goal to win the game. And, uh, you know, everybody at Vanderbilt will be uh, in awe of uh, of her in the locker room and everything else. But, you know, here's the truth. I bet there isn't a single person listening to us right now that has ever heard a halftime speech from a kicker in a, in a football, in a football uh, setting. And if they did, there's probably a decent chance they picked the kicker up and put him in the locker and locked him in there, right? Like, of all the people that are going to lecture a team at halftime, the idea that she would be doing that, and I don't know if it was signed off on by coaches. Again, did you did you say, Withrow, you've heard there's a camera crew in there filming it? I know for a fact there was a camera crew in there filming it. What I, what I can't narrow, zero in on, though, is, is it was it a Vanderbilt camera crew that was following her entire day, or was it an ESPN crew? But I know Either that there way, was a, there was a camera makes- rolling on her halftime speech. Either way, it makes the the halftime speech fundamentally artificial. And by the way, I also think it violates the sanctity of the locker room. What do you hear guys talk about all the time? What's said in the locker room stays in the locker room. Most of the time, right? Now, maybe if somebody comes back and they have a huge win, they're like, hey, what motivated you for that win? Well, so-and-so got up and they really said something that mattered and it stuck with us. I tend to think speeches are overrated once snaps happen. But they came out down 21 nothing and got outscored 20 to nothing in the second half. If they try to turn this into, uh, you know, the win one for the Gipper speech, which I think is oftentimes what gets manufactured, to me, it just makes this look that much more artificial. Well, beyond that, you're down 21 nothing. The coach would say, cameras, get out. Yeah. It, no says, it says I, I need to speak lot. to my also, team, GTFO. Way, it says a lot more about the Vandy football program under Derek Mason and those players than good, it does her. Yes. a good co- And it makes it look like maybe he thought that was going to save his job. A good coach, by the way. There's no way he thought would, that, though, Clay. I, 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 don't, I don't think Derek Mason thought that. I just think he was playing along with this feel-good story more oh, than anything I think, else. I think, I think he thought that, that it could help him, right? I don't think he would have done it. Like, look, if, if they actually game-planned, if their game plan was, hey, we think the best thing we can do to start the second half is to come out and intentionally give the other team possession at the 35-yard line, then every single coach on that team that was involved in that decision should be fired because it's so insanely stupid that I find it hard to believe that anybody with a functional brain. If you kick the ball out of bounds, the other team gets the ball at the 40. Every time that a kicker kicks the ball out the bounds, what do we see? An immediate cut to the coach on the sideline, taking his headset off and like throwing it to the ground because he's so furious at his kicker. Are you telling me that Vanderbilt's intentional plan, the best one they could come up with for an entire week, was to give them the ball at the 35-yard line? I just it, it, it is so. Uh, I, look, you can agree or disagree with a lot of people's opinions, right? But what I find frustrating about sports is when stories that are fundamentally inauthentic are treated as if they are real, right? This is an inauthentic stunt story. 
It is not a real story. She's not the best available kicker on the entirety of the Vanderbilt campus. She isn't, right? They could have gone to the Vanderbilt med student who kicked for them for years and had him kicking. Riley Gay, who should be eligible on Saturday and still may not kick. They could have had the punter. Like, you telling me the punter couldn't have gotten there and popped it up in the air? He's kicking the ball an average of 43 yards, which, by the way, is over 50 yards, considering he's kicking from behind 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. You're telling me that he couldn't run up with a running start and pop it up high enough in the air to require somebody to fair catch it better than what she did? Again, it's a stunt. And stunts that are being done for teams that are this bad, like if Alabama decided they wanted to have a kicker come out in the second half and they were up 41 nothing, and they wanted to have uh, a situation like this where somebody jogged on the field to kick an extra point, that's fine, right? To me, it's much more of a valid move because – you can bring in backups. You can bring in walk-on. The game itself is decided. But I think the way you saw Vanderbilt play reflects that many people on that team felt and, and know that this were a stunt. I mean, just think about this from your perspective. If you're on that team and you're busting your ass as hard as you can and you're down 21 nothing, and you're 0-7 and you've been going hard all this tough COVID season, you're already a smart kid who's having to work hard at Vanderbilt Uh, in academics to stay eligible. What would you be thinking if a kicker who had not yet been on the field with you, who was playing soccer for the Vanderbilt women, got up with a camera on her at halftime and lectured you on your effort and intensity? A part of me would be like, screw this. I don't even want to go out for the second half if this is what our program has become. And, and, And I think there are probably a lot of guys who were thinking that in the locker room. If they're look, if anybody's given a speech and there's a camera on them and they're not even a member of your team, that's such a ridiculous show. I'd want to get out, get up and walk out if I were a football player. Clay, if we're looking to win on FanDuel Sportsbook, they're offering the thousand dollar risk free bet. Up to a thousand dollars is what you can bet for first time FanDuel Sportsbook users on the app, and then you can place any bet you want. If you win, you keep the money. If you lose, you get that back in a bonus site credit to to rebet. Clay, I should also ask, if there was an over-under on oh, yeah. Sarah Fuller scoring a point on Saturday in Athens, what are you Is betting? Is that your risk-free bet? Well, I already bet uh, I already bet Georgia. I think Georgia <laughs> is just going to absolutely obliterate Vanderbilt. Um, and uh, I, I don't know that Vanderbilt's going to score a touchdown unless maybe they get lucky and pick off J.T. Daniels and score defensively. Uh, I would bet that she is not going to score. It would be a good profit for Fanduel to put up. You just mentioned it. You've got a couple of different options for new users, up to $1,000 free, right? They will refund your loss if you lose on your first bet for up to $1,000. Basically a free roll. Pick the game that you like, the bet that you like. You can win $1,000. Or, let's say you just have 5 bucks. Right now, if you haven't bet yet, you can go to FanDuel.com slash Clay, and if you wager $5 and just pick the winning team, Titans or Browns. Nothing easy, nothing difficult about that. Titans around a 5.5 or 6-point favorite. So you should pick the Titans based on value. But either way, $5, if you pick the right winner, it's all you have to do, you get back $125 right now if you go to fanduel.com slash clay.